So my wife and I have been married for 11 years, and uh, just about a year into our marriage, uh, we added another person to our home. Well, maybe a person depends on, on what you'd like to say about someone like this. I think we've got a picture here to show you. This is, uh, this is uh, our dog. This is Lady. Now, Lady doesn't live with us anymore, and she didn't pass away. But uh, last year before we moved to Noblesville, we gave away our dog on Craigslist. Yes, we did. I'm serious. We gave away our dog on Craigslist. And before you label me as like some sort of animal hater or being cruel or neglectful or whatever, just hang with me for a second if you would, because I've got 10 years worth of stories to tell about this dog, and I'm only going to tell you one of them uh, this morning. But I, I like to say this is Lady, I, I, and Lady, ha, we, we've got some, some good memories of Lady, but we also have some very challenging uh, memories when it comes to Lady. Lady was a Shih Tzu, and... Um, Let's just, let's just say this. She suffered from separation anxiety, yeah, which, which might be an issue now being that she's not with us anymore. How many of you have ever had a pet that suffers with separation or suffered with separation anxiety? Okay, so you can, you can relate a little bit with me. There, there were periods of, our time, of time when our dog was on different medicine, including Prozac. Um, she, she managed to figure out how to break out of the pet taxi, the, the crate, I'm not kidding. There, she, there were times when we came home and that crate door was completely open. Uh, she was Houdini. I mean, she was a magician. She did not like being alone. And as a result, uh, as we became busier and busier as a family and as our family grew, it got to the point where we just really didn't feel like we could offer the love that our dog required. In fact, it really came to this. Right before Kate was born, before we moved here about a year and a half ago, um, it came down to somebody from our house is moving out. Out, all right, and we need to decide who it's going to be. And we drew straws, and, and the dog had to lose. And again, just bear with me because she went to a good home, and, and we believe that she's with a family now that can offer much more love and support than we were able to offer. But I wanted to tell you one story about our dog just to kind of illustrate this separation anxiety. When Jenny and I uh, were just a few years married and we were both working, uh, we, we, we had Lady, and she didn't like it when we were gone all day. And so it was typical for us to come home, and she'd be soaking wet, and she'd chew up her paws and chew up her neck. She wore one of those satellite dishes around her neck for about a year straight one time, until we finally started investing in Prozac, which is a whole other story. But anyway, there was one particular day where we were gone all day, and then we raced home for dinner, and then we had a commitment that evening. And we felt bad about putting her into this crate once again. And so we put her in the bathroom. And uh, we left her in the bathroom, and we just shut the doors and everything. And, and then we came home a few hours later, and, and I went to open the bathroom door to walk in, and the door wouldn't open. And it wasn't that it was locked or anything. It just wouldn't open more than, you know, a few inches. And sure enough, come to find out, this, this little dog, and you can see how small she was, had managed to get up onto her hind legs and open one of the bathroom drawers. And not only did she open it to, to pin herself in, because I don't really think that's what she was intending to do, she chewed off the corners of the drawers. And, and like, I'm talking about big chunks out of the drawers. I have no idea to this day where the wood went, except for into her stomach, and she survived it and everything. But she chewed off the corners of like three of our drawers uh, that particular evening. There was toilet 
toilet paper spread all throughout the bathroom. And then just to top it off, just for the dessert of it all, there was a nice little gift for us in the tub, you know, that had been smeared all over the place. And it's just a little bit of the ongoing story of what this separation anxiety resulted in uh, in our house and with our dog. And again, we tried to give her all the love that we could. And I, we just trust that there's a great family today that's giving her all of the love and support. And we do have some good memories too. But, but I couldn't help but wonder, and as Jenny and I were talking about this last night and kind of laughing about some of the stories, if our dog, and maybe your dog or your pet, can get so bent out of shape about separation anxiety and being alone, you can only wonder what more or what effect it has on us as humans. You know, when we, when we, we don't really have relationships to invest in, we don't have people there to walk alongside of us in life. And, and it's not necessarily even just a spouse, but, but just a close group of friends that you can share with and, and, and process with and, and talk about life and different challenges uh, that come up. And, that, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, if you go to your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 2. Uh, go to the second book of the New Testament, to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, this is Mark's account of Jesus' life and Jesus' teachings. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, we, we pick up a story. And I just want to only share a few verses of the story uh, let, me, let me read it for you. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. But since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. You're healed. And so we've got this story of a paralyzed man here in Mark chapter 2. And this man had a group of friends that, that were pretty close to him that took him to see Jesus. And they carried him on this mat, a mat that kind of looked like a stretcher or maybe what we would imagine as a stretcher. And the interesting thing is that they not only carried this man on his mat, but this man lived on the mat. I mean, this, this man knew his mat. It was his home. Uh, you know, as a paralyzed man, he couldn't leave the mat. He could do nothing for himself on the mat. He couldn't dress himself. He couldn't feed himself. It's possible that he couldn't go to the restroom by himself. He had few ways to provide for himself. And so all he could do was lie down on, on the mat on the side of the road and hope some people would throw some money to him as he goes by. Now, life on the mat sounds pretty awful, doesn't it? You know, you wouldn't want to find yourself in, in such a position. It seems like nothing was going for him, but here's one thing he had going for him that's pretty special that we find here in Mark 2, and it, it's not quite as obvious, but despite the hardships, the sufferings, the disappointment in his life, one thing ended up making all of the difference. He had these friends. He had these four friends that were willing to go to some great lengths with him, not just good friends. I mean, these are the real deal kind of a friends. These are great friends. Now, you and I know that friends like this don't just happen automatically. And if you think about some of your closest friends in your life, I mean, there may be years, you know, invested into that friendship with some highs and with some lows. You know, maybe it was through a tough experience that you were brought together, maybe a college roommate, you know, maybe just a lifelong, you know, friend, somebody that you grew up with. But for this guy, you know, friends like this don't just happen automatically, especially when you have a disability. Because if you remember, people, you know, with disabilities will tell you that one of the things that, that one of the greatest obstacles they face is sometimes the attitudes of people who don't have disabilities. 
that they can just tell that there's this awkwardness or, you know, that they feel noticeably uncomfortable because, you know, they don't know how to respond. Well, in ancient times, it was so much more worse than it is even today. You know, if you remember from our miracle series that we did back in July and August where we talked about these different miracles of Jesus, that there was this assumption, you know, in ancient times that if you had a disability, you were being punished that you were being punished for a past decision, or maybe you were being punished for your parents' past decisions. And so this was a big deal then. And so for a guy like this to have these close of friends was pretty uncommon, pretty unusual in ancient times. But even with his paralysis, he somehow had a group of friends who were just there for him. And so word gets out that Jesus is in town. The friends say to each other, hey, maybe it's true what we're hearing about Jesus. Let's get our friend and let's take him to see Jesus to see what he'll do about it. And so they tell their paralyzed buddy that they'll be by to pick him up in the morning, you know, and they're, they're literally going to pick him up, Matt and all, and carry him to the place where Jesus is teaching. So they get their friend there and they get him to this place where Jesus is teaching only to find out some bad news. The place is jam-packed. You know, it's kind of like when you go to get your hair cut. You know, maybe you go to one of those walk-in places or something, and you just kind of hope to get in and get out of the door in about 15 minutes, and there are like 20 people ahead of you, you know, so you know you're going to be there for a little while. I mean, this place is jam-packed. You know, there, there's this little bit of a, a letdown here, and so there's standing room only. The Bible says there's no room left, even outside the door. And these guys, they could have gone home, but they didn't. You know, they kind of step back and survey the situation. And they're men, right? You know, men are problem solvers. Let's get to the bottom of this. Let's come up with a plan. And so they're presenting every option. And then finally, you know, I can only imagine the one guy, you know, of the four, you know, the guy that barely made it through high school. I mean, his name's Biff or something. And he's like, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we go through the roof? Yeah. You know, that'd be cool. And, and so that's what they do, and they all get around it. And so they, they, they get their friend, you know, to this, uh, to this place. And, and in those days, roofs were, were flat, kind of like porches and patios. And oftentimes, the homes would have a staircase up the side so that you get to the roof. And so they take their buddy, they carry him, Matt and all, up to the top of the stairs, onto the roof. And, and from there, they get down on their hands and knees, and they begin to dig away at the roof. Now, the roofs at this time were made of branches and thatch and, and dried mud and these reeds. And so they, you had to work them, but they would actually get down and, and they actually, with their hands, started digging into this roof until finally there was a slight opening. And, and then before you know it, they had cleared away this greater opening. And, and, and just picture yourself if you're in the room. Okay, and you're looking up and all of a sudden there's dust falling and leaves and branches are falling and everything and everybody's wondering what's going on and all of a sudden this light shines through and you see that there's some people up there. I mean, the guy who owns the house, you know, is on his farm with this, you know, phone with the state farm agent, you know, like, I got this hole in my roof, you know, what am I going to do about it? And, and so all of a sudden there's a body and there's this guy on this stretcher and they're lowering him down slowly and carefully through the roof and they lay him right at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus knows the whole story. And he knows the guy. And he knows his struggles. And he sees his faith and he sees the faith of these men. And, you know, his words are, your sins are forgiven, which in some sort of way is just really Jesus saying, he, he was talking to another group of people here, but we know Jesus is saying, you're healed. You're healed. And so this man with this disability is lowered through the roof with the mat. He, he enters the room through the ceiling, but he exits the room with his own two feet, healed, you know, carrying his mat under his arm. His life was 
changed forever. And, and for this guy, for this sick man, Jesus made all the difference. And we know from what the Bible tells us and because of our own testimony that Jesus came to heal the sick. Uh, we know that Jesus came to offer forgiveness and he, offer, he offers his love. He, he, Jesus came to repair broken lives. He, he came to seek and save the lost. And as we find in, in Luke chapter 15, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he's the great shepherd. And even though there are 99 sheep in the pen, there's one that's missing. And as the great shepherd, he's willing to go out on this search until the one sheep comes home. And that Jesus is like the woman in the story in Luke chapter 15, that she's missing one of her coins, and it doesn't matter that she still has nine of them. She flips her, her house upside down and frantically searches until the one lost coin is found. And Jesus is like that woman. We know that Jesus is like the father in the story, the story of that prodigal son who had been on this long, rebellious journey. And when he finally makes his way back home, you know, head hanging and everything, you know, Jesus, the father in the story, throws a party, throws a great celebration for this reunion that has taken place. I mean, that's Jesus. Jesus makes all of the difference. And, and, and while Jesus made all of the difference for this man, I'd like to point out another positive in his story too, in his life, a benefit that helped make all the difference. And that were this man's friends. He had a group of friends, a group of guys that cared enough to help him make this great journey, friends who loved him, you know, friends who were concerned for him, you know, friends that knew every detail, friends who lifted him up when he was having a bad day. These friends helped him to get to Jesus and Jesus made all the difference. But I think this story is a great reminder for us as a church, you know, of what our role is and what we are called to do. And, and I realize that it's a number of things that I want to talk about, just one of them this morning. Our mission as a church, what we've been talking about over the past few weeks, our mission is, say it with me, helping people find their way back to God. That's our role. That's our purpose as a church, as light in this world, as salt in this world, is to help people find their way back to God. We are called to be like the men in this story who carried their friend to find Jesus. You know, they were willing to go to great lengths to help their friend find Jesus. And, and Jesus makes all the difference. I mean, that's where all of the power comes from. It comes from Jesus. But you and I, our responsibility as individuals and as a church is to continuously point to Jesus. It's about Jesus. I mean, you got to get to Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and, and we help people get connected to God. We've been talking about our mission for the past couple of weeks is, uh, in this series that we've been calling Intersections, and we've got just a couple of weeks left, and then we're going to move on to some other things. But the idea behind this is that as a church, you and I have arrived at this great crossroads, I think, this great um, intersection of opportunity, if you will, and with our, you know, a great past and a great story and all the blessings that God has given to us right now and what he's doing and how hopeful we are of what he wants to do in the future, we've got a great opportunity before us. And the question we want to ask is, where do you want to go next, God? I mean, what do you want to do next? What do you want to do through this church? Where do we go from here? And again, we're about helping people find their way back to God, but something else has to happen alongside of that mission something that will enable us to do what we're called to do, and that's helping people find their way back to God. Here's what it is. You and I have to make a personal commitment to become something. You and I have to open up ourselves to allow God to work, uh, to do a work in us, to transform us so that we can carry out this mission. 
We have to be transformed. Our mission won't just happen. You know, and if you're about just sitting and thinking, well, I hope the person next to me gets it because if they get it, you know, then we're almost there. It's about every single one of us who calls Genesis Church their home saying, you know what, I'm, I'm giving myself to this. I'm giving myself to God. I'm giving myself to Jesus. I want to be his follower. Every one of us needs to be changed in order to carry out our mission. So here's what I like to believe. As we look to embrace our mission, as you look to call, you know, Genesis Church your home, as you understand your role for becoming something for Jesus, I believe, and we've just tried to simplify it as best as we can, that you and I need to be willing to make at least three important commitments in our life. You know, it's, it's, it's what it means for you and I to say, I belong to Genesis Church. You know, I, I'm putting my support behind this place. I, I'm all in. You know, we want everyone who calls Genesis Church their home to embrace three core commitments. They all begin with the letter C. The first is, we talked about it last week, and again, I encourage you to go listen to that message if you haven't heard of it, but we want to raise up, again, three C followers of Jesus, and the first C that we talked about last week is, is just basically the word celebrate. It's the word celebrate. Uh, we want everyone to celebrate. Now, what in the world does that mean, all right? Well, it, it means this. It's about celebrating God's love. It's about celebrating uh, His work in us you know, his ongoing work in our lives. And, and how do we do this? You know, it's about making, you know, weekly worship a priority in your life. You know, and, and it's not just something that we check off of our list or we do it when it's convenient, but we say, you know what, I, I want to make a commitment in our life that work, weekly worship is important to me. It's important to our church. It's important to us as a community. And it, again, it's not so that we can pat ourselves on the back or, or believe that God how some, somehow loves us more because we went to church on Sunday. That has nothing to do with it. But it's coming expectantly. It's that when you come on Sunday mornings, you're prepared and you expect that God is going to do some sort of new work in you. You know, and you come prepared to, to participate. Uh, it, it's more than just, you know, Sundays, though. It's you and I making a commitment to invest in our personal relationship with Jesus. You know, and, and learning to study God's Word for yourself. It's learning to pray. It's about making him the Lord of your life. You know, we want everyone who calls Genesis Church their home to celebrate God's love and God's work in them. And we're committed to this. We're committed to the celebrate peace. And we're going to talk more and more about that as a church as, as we continue into the future and what that looks like and, and help you in that journey. The second C is, and you probably already guessed it, is the word connect. You know, we want to be a church. It's about connections. We invite you to get connected, to get involved with others here at Genesis because we were made for each other. You know, the Bible is very clear that you don't do your faith all alone. The Bible is very clear in this. It's something that we do together. We do it as a family. We do it as a community. It's how God wired us. And, and life is hard enough, you know, if you think about it, trying to do it all on your own. But God never meant for us to do it alone. You know, he designed the church you know, for, to be a place where we kind of do life together. And, and we can only wonder, you know, what if this could be a place where, you know, seasoned dads come alongside of new dads and help them as they learn to be fathers to their children, to be better husbands. You know, we want to be a type of church where, you know, new moms can find support and keep from pulling their hair out, you know, by being supportive of one another as they learn to take care of their children and to be better wives. 
We want to be a kind of place where teens can find community with one another and support with each other and accountability for one another and, and even children the same. We want this to be a church that if you're not married, you can still feel like you're a part of the family, that you're not the oddball in this because you're not married or something, that we all do this together. You know, that we're all the same in the eyes of God. It's a place where a college student, you know, can find a group of friends, a community that they can connect with. I mean, we're committed to being a church of connections, of relationships. You know, it's being, about being involved with each other. Now, we don't know how the paralyzed guy in Mark chapter 2 came to know these friends or what these relationships were like. But around Genesis, we believe that the best way for you to get involved with others is through a connection group. All right? We call them connection groups. Do you see it? The second C is connect. We call them connection groups. I went to college. I went to college for that, you know? Thousands of dollars to come up with that. No, but seriously, that, that, that's what we want to do, you know? I mean, we're helping people get connected. Now, you may be wondering, are we ever going to quit talking about connection groups, you know, and move on to some other things? No, we're not. Uh, connection groups are and will continue to be a big part of our church, and we're going to invest a lot of our time and energy in these groups. Now, you and I can think we've got all the people that we need in our life, and we can think that being here Sundays is enough, but it's not. I mean, look at it this way. I mean, are you at a place in your life right now where you could say, you know what, I've got a group of friends, I've got a support network around me, kind of like this guy here in Mark. You know, and maybe you're like, you know what, I don't need that. I mean, I've got everything that I need, my life is great. Well, let me ask you another question then. Are, are you being a friend to someone else, you know, like this situation here in Mark? Maybe somebody that needs it a little bit more or somebody that needs to know your story or needs to see how you were able to overcome or to get through, you know, find a greater faith, you know, in your own personal walk, your everyday life. I mean, as followers of Jesus, you know, are you working to be a friend, you know, like that to someone else, someone here in the church? And because it's not about just being on the receiving end of these relationships. I mean, when you and I make a decision to get involved and to get connected, I mean, we're helping others in that journey too. And for this group, you know, for these men, they played a vital role in this guy's life. Do you remember uh, where you were when the 9-11 tragedy took place and the, the planes crashed into the World Trade Center and to the Pentagon and, and just all the commotion of that day and, and, and how awful it was? I was uh, we were living in Michigan at the time, and I was uh, taking some classes, some graduate classes at the college there in, in uh, at this place called Bethel College. And we were sitting in class, and class was interrupted, and you probably remember exactly where you were when you got the news, and we were able to get to the television, get out of our class, and, and watch all of the footage, and actually watch one of the towers fall, and just how that moment took your breath away when you saw that video over and over again. And I remember on that day, and just the emptiness, and just the loneliness, and just the fear of that day, how important it was for me uh, to make a phone call to, to my wife, to Jenny. Uh, and just, just to be able to just talk with her for a few minutes and just to feel that support and that connection uh, with one another. You know, as a pastor at a church at that time, our professor let us out. Classes were canceled for the day and different people were calling the church. Well, we were, um, our role at the time was serving young, young students, young uh, college students and young families. And so there were a group of friends that we had that we were pretty close to. And we weren't doing anything specifically as a church that night. But our friends just kept calling our house, you know, asking, are, are we doing anything? And finally, doing nothing turned into, yeah, just come over. And, and that night, you know, we had probably 10, 
12 people that just came over just to hang out. They just, we just, just to be together. No one wanted to be alone. And, you know, we watched the president make an address that night on TV. And, and before we left that night, we just said, hey, let's just pray together. And we kind of shared some prayer requests and, and we felt the support of, of just being together. And, and maybe for you, you know, that was just one experience. Maybe for you, your experience has nothing to do with that. I mean, maybe, maybe it's when your husband walked out and, uh, or your son didn't come home or the medical news was worse than you thought. And what, what did it feel like for you to receive the support of those closest around you? Or what did it feel like to, to contact your connection group or your small group and, and to feel their support? And unfortunately for some, I mean, you might have been forced to do it alone. Maybe friends let you down or family members let you down through all of this and, and you felt that despair and you felt that loneliness. But it, it shouldn't be like that. I mean, we were made for each other. Our church, you know, that, that's a part of who we are. It's our role as a church. And, and so I, I just wonder what, what's holding you back, you know, from giving more and more of yourself to getting involved with others here at Genesis? I mean, what is it that's preventing you, you know, from joining even something like a connection group? Uh, maybe it's a time issue, you know, and you rush in and you rush out of here on Sundays and you just really don't have the time, you know, or you do have the time, but you're just not willing to give it to a group of people that you don't know. And so you haven't taken the time to get to know anyone or let anyone know you. And so time stands in your way. Uh, maybe for you, it's a pride issue and it's, it's easy for pride to get in our way. I, I can only wonder for this man, for this paralyzed man, what it was like to allow himself to be carried through the streets to this house up to this roof i mean he had to let down his guard i mean he had to be willing to set his pride aside and then his buddies are digging through the roof and he's wondering what's going on and they're talking about lowering him down into this room of people that he doesn't know i mean he probably thought his friends were just coming by to like take him to buffalo wild wings to watch games or something you know and they're getting ready to lower him down through this roof and all pride set aside you know he was he was willing to allow this to happen. Or maybe for you, it's a, it's a fear issue. It's a fear of just what will happen if I get involved. I mean, because you've been burned before by people. Or maybe you were at a church where you were burned in the past. You know, you're afraid to get connected. I mean, what happens if you get burned again? I mean, what if people learn that you don't have it all together? Or they find you out? I mean, you know, we've really... We, like this man here in the story, I mean, he had this condition. He had bad legs, and for all we know, he may have had bad arms or bad back. We don't know. But we've all got a condition, don't we? I mean, we've all got a story. We're all a little odd. There's a book that's entitled Everyone's Ordinary Until You Meet Them, you know, until you get to know them a little bit. I mean, it's kind of true, isn't it? I mean, what's your story? I mean, we, we, we put on these faces. We want to be perceived as perfect. We don't want to let our guards down. I mean, I'm, I've been guilty of it. I mean, we all have these challenges. I mean, maybe for you, it's just an overwhelming sense of fear and anxiety. You know, you're just scared. Or, or maybe it's just some difficult relationships right now, and you don't want anyone to know that things aren't good in your home. and uh, Your marriage isn't what it should be. Uh, maybe it's a financial situation, and you're in a rough place, and you don't want others to know about it, but you're sick of trying to do it by yourself. Maybe it's an addiction. You know, maybe it's a tendency to pick your nose at inappropriate times, you know? as compared to appropriate times, you know? I mean, you name it. We've all got a condition. I mean, we settle for it and we take it out on others. We try and hide it. We try and do it by ourselves. We don't want anybody to know. It's kind of like we've all got a mat and we just kind of settle for it. It's a part of who we are. And just like this paralyzed man, we're kind of content to live with it. 
But think about it. If this man would have let the time or his pride or even his fear get in the way of his relationships with these men, he'd have never seen Jesus. He'd have never seen Jesus quite like the day that he did when he was healed and his life was changed forever. So here's the thing. Here's what I believe God wants for our church. He wants us to reach lost people. And I believe that we need to be very passionate about helping people find their way back to God. He wants people, you and I, to give our heart and our lives to this church and everything that we do. He wants us to come to the aid of the poor and the needy, all of these things. But here's the thing. I believe that God, He wants to make sure that we don't do it alone, that we're not doing a life on our, on our own. I mean, before He died, Jesus prayed, Father, my prayer for them is that they would be one. And I had a pastor that I served that used to say, Satan's greatest tool against the church is division. If he can create division, if he can segment people, then his work is done. And Jesus prayed, Father, my prayer is that they would be one together. It's about living together. It's about celebrating together. It's about mourning together. It's about supporting one another. It's about connecting, you know, and getting involved with each other. Now, what does this mean for you? Just a few things, real practical, easy things. Uh, how, how can you take another step in getting involved here at Genesis? I mean, it might be getting into a connection group. You know, there's a group, not right now, but there's a connection group that's probably meeting near where you live. And uh, would you think about getting involved with one of these groups? And connection groups are about helping you to get to know others um, so that when you come here on Sundays, it, it's just an even more enjoyable experience. You know, when you eat together with a connection group and study the Bible together, my wife and I, we host a connection group in our house on Sunday nights. Uh, we meet with young couples and young singles, and, and we just have a great time hanging out together. Why do we do it? We, we like to do it. We love it. I mean, we enjoy getting to know other people and getting to know their stories and, and being able to support one another. And, and, you know, again, we study the Bible together. We watch football. Uh, we eat really, really good food. I mean, if you haven't signed up for a connection group yet, I mean, would you consider taking such a step in your bulletin, in your worship program? We've got a list of our groups that are still open. And uh, today is a day, probably the last day, that we'd like to invite you to get signed up for a group for this semester. Uh, would you be willing to make an eight-week commitment? Some groups meet every week. Other groups meet every other week. Uh, but we'd love to invite you to get involved in a group. You can go back to the info hub after the service. Uh, one of the people from our team would love to tell you about some of the groups that we have. Um, another thing that you can do in getting better connected here at Genesis, uh, getting to know others, is start serving somewhere. And the great thing about serving here is that you won't serve alone. We serve together in teams, so you'll serve alongside of someone, whether it be in the Gen Kids ministry or serving with our host team or in the cafe team, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, but something special happens when people serve together. There's a unique bond that's formed. And, and if a connection group doesn't work for you right now, then find a place to serve. You know, get on a team and get to know other people here. Uh, and if you do that, you'll get a head start on the final C that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. Another thing, uh, just real simple. This is much uh, less formal, but uh, share a meal with someone or with a family. Uh, have, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you look at the Bible, so many of Jesus' encounters involved a meal. Uh, I think meals are one of the greatest icebreakers, you know, for any group, uh, any group of people wanting to get to know each other. There's something special that happens when people eat cheesy potatoes, you know, with one another. You know, all the guard goes down. Uh, how can you get better involved here at Genesis? Invite some people over to your house for dinner. And I know this happens all of the time, but, you know, be proactive in it, you know? You know, what if you said your family, you know, hey, once a month we're going to invite, you know, different groups of people over to our house just to get to know each other better. 
and to help people get to know one another. Make it a pitch-in. You know, everybody brings something, you know. A little football on TV, kids are tearing up the backyard, you know. Make it a point to do lunch with others after church on Sundays, you know, where you invite a different group out. Step out, you know, and invite some new people in the process too. And can I say this also? And I, I say this just from my perspective, you know, was we've got a lot of families in our church. Uh, let's not forget people in our community that aren't married right now. And, uh, you know, if you're inviting a group of people over to your house, uh, look for opportunities to invite married couples, you know, young singles, young couples, whoever it may be. And, and what an awesome thing just to see, you know, everyone come together. Uh, last thing uh, is you have to let yourself be known. You know, and especially as we grow as a church, uh, it will become easier and easier uh, for you to rush in and out of here, to dash in and out of here every week and just kind of remain anonymous. And maybe that's okay for you in this season, but it's really a great tragedy. You know, when we think about the church that God wants us to be, and, uh, you know, it's easy again to rush through life. Uh, let, let's not make that a part of, of this experience here. So get, you have to be willing to be known to a certain degree. Uh, allow yourself to get connected, to get involved. And, and again, I, I trust that God will do a great work in your life. Now, why, why is this worth it? And this is what I'm going to close with. I mean, why take the time? You know, why invest your time to get to know others? Well, two things and then I'll close. Jesus said something really interesting in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. He said, for where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Uh, that's a promise then, it's a promise today. Where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Now, what's he talking about? I mean, you know, isn't God everywhere and Jesus is with anyone who calls, you know, on his name? Absolutely. But Jesus is saying that there's something special, there's a special experience that comes when people are together because of him. And I will tell you that in my life, you know, one of the things that has done more for me than anything else is having people in my life where Jesus is the common denominator, where Jesus is something that we share together. And as important as the Bible is, as important as prayer is, as important as being involved in churches uh, and serving and celebrating, nothing has touched my life more than having a group of people around me who know that if needed, that I could count on them, that they would carry me to Jesus. That they would be that sort of support for me. And, and maybe you feel empty right now. Uh, maybe you're in a place right now in your spiritual journey where you feel like there's something missing. You're just not close to God. Is it possible that it might be people? You know, is it possible that it might be people in Christian community that you're missing, that you're you're not investing or being invested in. You're not connected like you would want to. And, and we just want to help in that. And I can't promise anything immediately, but we would love to help you get connected here at this church. There's one other important thing that makes coming this together, and, and then I will close. Um, but it's important as, as far as getting connected to one another. Uh, Bob Green is a writer for the Chicago Tribune, and uh, he's written a book entitled Once Upon a Town. Uh, it's the story of a small town uh, called North Platte, Nebraska, uh, and it's as isolated as any town can be uh, in the very, you know, vast Midwestern plains in this place of Nebraska, hours from Omaha and Lincoln. Uh, but there's something interesting that happened in this town. They've got a pretty unique past. Uh, from Christmas Day 1941 to the end of World War II, uh, what Bob Green calls a miracle happened in this town. Let me read this for you. He says, During the war, American soldiers from every city and walk of life rolled through North Platte on troop trains en route to their ultimate destinations in Europe and the Pacific 
This tiny town, wanting to offer the servicemen warmth and support, transformed its modest railroad depot into the North Platte Canteen, a place where soldiers could enjoy coffee, music, home-cooked food, magazines, and friendly conversation during a stopover that may in some situations only have lasted a few minutes. It was a haven for a never-ending stream of weary, homesick military personnel that provided them with the encouragement they needed to help them get through the difficult times ahead. Every day of the year, every day of the war, the canteen, staffed and funded entirely by local volunteers, was open from 5 a.m. until the last train of the day pulled away after midnight. Astonishingly, this remote Plains community of only 12,000 people provided welcoming words, friendship, and baskets of food and treats to more than 6 million GIs by the time the war ended. And for many of those 6 million GIs, their stop made all of the difference for them that day. You know, why come together? Why get connected? Well, it is for our own personal benefit but it's also for the benefit of others that are going to walk through the doors of our church too. You know, and it's about making a difference in other lives, and and it's about it being an an inviting church, a a church that's known as a friendly place. And and maybe you don't think you need these connections in your life right now, but you never know when you might. You know, when the news comes or when life changes quickly or life throws you a curve. You know, you never know when you might need it, and and how encouraging it is to know that you've got a a community around you who will pick you up, you know, your mat and all, and and carry you along the way. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friends can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. I mean, we can all come together because the one great thing that we share in common is Jesus Christ. And it's the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross when he gave his life, you know, for you and me, for our hope, uh, for our future. And and maybe this morning, the greatest step that you need to take in your faith right now is to get connected. And again, we would love to help you do that. Uh, I can help you. Our team at the Info Hub can help you. We'll do what we can to help you get to know others here. But maybe that's not it for you this morning. And you know that the greatest step that you need to take in your life right now is to trust Jesus. And you've never made that decision in your life before. Uh, We're going to sing this last song, and when we're finished, we'll have a team of people up front here. Uh, We'd be available to pray with you, to talk with you a little bit more about where you are in your life right now, whatever we can do to serve you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what we have in Jesus Christ. How his death and his resurrection has given us life, given us hope, given us a reason to live. And God, I want to thank you for this church. And I want to thank you for the great community that you're putting together here. And we're still learning what it's like to be the type of church that you've designed for us to be. And and it's going to take time and we're going to have some success and we're going to have some failure in that. But God, I pray that it would be the cross of Jesus Christ that continues to draw us together. That as we come together and as we enjoy, you know, these real relationships, Father, we know ultimately that we'll always be pointing towards you. Uh, Will you have your way in us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.